Welcome to Everything is Racist. And yes, we mean that. Everything is racist. You either don't care, don't know, or don't want to give up the privileges racism gives you. Brought to you by two cousins. Tired of the world's BS. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. That was our first take. So let's discuss, like, what exactly is this podcast and um, why are we doing this? That's a very good question because, you know, millennials often just say, I'm going to start a podcast. And that's kind of what we did. <laughs> yeah, pretty much everybody's doing a podcast and we're technically still in quarantine. And I don't know, we have been quarantining. Yes. So this is our outlet to <laughs> talk to each other outside of our Twitter messages. Yes. And the idea came up in our Twitter messages because we're always discussing hot topics, racism, fashion, food, memes and we figured everything is racist yes and that was the big connector everything (laughs) was racist somehow racist yep everything is racist i mean yeah there's gonna be i think a lot of interesting topics that most people probably won't relate to racism but honestly as two cousins of color (laughs) we can attest that everything is racist Mm mm-hmm Yeah. So I guess like why, I mean, kind of obvious why this topic is very important to us. Like it just relates to everything that we do and how we go about the world. And again, might as well just discuss this since most people are probably thinking it or don't think it and probably should know about it. Right. And it's it, a lot of it is going to be our lived experiences besides, you know, us reading. And I think it's important, not just for us, but for other people of color to know that, like, your experiences are valid and they're true. Um, so yeah. just because we're not an expert doesn't mean, like, we don't know what we're talking about. Exactly. I don't know if we want to mention that we do have some background in psychology. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. We both have studied psychology. Um, I studied it in undergrad as well as grad school. And working 
I work with children and just people in life and have seen its impacts on a more professional level as well. Besides my degree in psychology too, um, and I only started in undergrad, but my professional experience since I've since graduating from college, I've worked in mostly black and brown spaces uh, in equity work or in advocacy work. So I definitely have some like political and like real life understanding of how different systems are, you know, impacting different groups and people of color. And I feel like often as millennials and yes, people in their twenties, like the mid to late twenties are millennials. Um, I feel like our opinions are often pushed to the side or we're called snowflakes or they say we don't have any real world experience yet. And that is absolutely not true. Um, Even studies show that children can see things like racism, like they can experience it and recognize that they may not have the tools to fully express what they're experiencing, but they notice things like differences in race and how people are treated yeah that's completely true actually it's funny because as we kind of talk a little bit later about like our own experiences and I was thinking about like well I don't want to jump right into it but um yeah like a lot of the experiences that I will be talking about will actually harken back to my early experiences because I was not born in the U.S. I was born in the Philippines um and so I had a later understanding of or exposure to racism. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we get into that grim topic, (laughs) I feel like we should probably start off with something a little bit more positive. This will, since we are tackling some pretty deep and um, possibly like dark topics, (laughs) uh, you know, it'd be a good, good chance for us to just... Bring some positivity, pos- positivity <laughs> into our world and hopefully into yours too. So, yeah. We're going to do a little segment that we like to call Mr. Brightside, um, quintessential millennial reference for those of you with music taste. <laughs> and like Bettina was saying, just say staying something stating something that was positive or that we enjoyed or appreciated um to sort of uplift ourselves and not so Nate, this is your fault <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry <laughs> the segment is here for us to focus even for a moment on the positive especially during tough times mm. like this pandemic so I suggested that we do our very random Friday activity on Twitter. Was it on Friday? Yeah, it was. Yes, so, it was Friday. I don't know if people like actually caught on to it, but I found this tweet from um, some like reporter on Twitter, and it was like the like change what the bunny is holding, and it's like bunnies with like. Mm -hmm. emojis and stuff they're not quite emojis i don't know what they're called (laughs) but (laughs) so yeah emojis thing emojis like the whole thing was like you're supposed to change what the bunny is holding with like an emoji 
and I was just playing around and like pretty much made one that was like Avatar The Last Airbender related and I sent it to you and we spent like two hours (laughs) making references (laughs) with bunnies and it was just so cute and funny and we kept running out of characters and then we were like no this random person yeah it was a lot of go- it was two hours it was actually two hours on a friday night that's what we were doing <laughs> just sending references and then we moved on after we couldn't we couldn't think of any more characters from the last airbender <laughs> we moved on to Shit's creek <laughs> which is a top tier show that has lots of room for quoting and <laughs> We basically were both researching (laughs) different quotes or scenes that we wanted to reference because we pretty much use like the central characters. We're like, no, I want this specific scene and I need the perfect emoji that represents it. Why do they not have a yogurt emoji? It was a pitchfork. I was looking for a pitchfork emoji and there's technically (laughs) one. It's like a trident, but like it just didn't match because the scene I was trying to reference was david in a field with the mennonites but i think that's what made it even funnier because <laughs> we know what it was supposed to be and it sort of just added especially to that one to like the angst and the anger <laughs> that david was obviously feeling yeah it was a lot of fun <laughs> it was like stupid fun it was and i'm like i hope one day after I'm very, very long gone, that someone can dig into my Twitter message archives and find those two hour worth of messages and be completely confused. I will say I screenshotted a couple of them and sent it to my brother and I was like, do you get these references? And he's like, yeah. I mean, they're just so very obscure. No one could ever put two and two together. Yeah. (laughs) But yes, that was, it was just something so random and so fun on a Friday night. And I feel like if I had been in a bad mood at that time, it could have shifted my whole weekend, but I was already pretty much okay. But that, it took it 10 times higher and better. I think it's just like, it's interesting. I'm noticing some of the, like stupid like little fun things that um you normally wouldn't have time for if like we weren't in a pandemic and didn't you know yeah have the time to just like do silly little things like that so i appreciated it same even though i'd probably still be on twitter if i had (laughs) like a normal life right now i'm not gonna hold you okay so are we gonna jump into this Yes, yes, we are. Well, here it is. Our first episode and the very first topic. What is racism? I know it's a shocking first topic. Please take time if you need to to brace yourself or (laughs) unpack before. Um, Racism is everything. (laughs) I would I would say. (laughs) But yes, we're just going to discuss racism, what it is, and what it isn't. And like I said earlier, um, some terms that fall under the umbrella of racism and examples. 
So what is racism? Here's the definition of it. Okay. This is from dictionary.com. Racism is a belief or doctrine that inherent differences among the various human racial groups determine cultural or individual achievement, usually involving the idea that one's own race is superior and has the right to dominate others or that a particular racial group is inferior to others. And so I feel like in general, if you ask a person what is racism, they'll have a very similar definition maybe not as many fancier words but it'll usually be like oh when you are mean or rude or hate another race would you agree Uh, you definitely and i think that's the caveat is that it's not an individual person it is a whole group of people a race and maybe somebody will hate a specific person even more because of their race but they still are tying it back to the group that they belong to. Um, Some other words that are also often thrown out with that are prejudice, discrimination, hatred. Um, A lot of times they can be seen as either synonyms or words to help define racism as a root. Um, And I feel like, especially depending regionally, I feel like I hear the word bigotry or bigot a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I feel like sometimes it can be very regional within the United States if people are using that in a serious way. And I think, again, like I don't want to like take away from racism and specifically bigotry can come in different forms and so does prejudice. So like they're kind of umbrella terms under racism, which is a very specific type of prejudice but of course you know talk about intersection in another episode we're trying to we're trying to start small because we're going to talk about everything eventually because we'll never run out of topics because everything is racist there we go i feel like oppression in general it's funny one of my friends was actually doing a interview where she had to give a mock presentation on oppression And so it made me think more about the word as well and the definition. And like you were saying, a bunch of different things can sprout from it. It's not necessarily just race. It can be other intersecting things. I just feel like sometimes oppression is mostly linked to race, but not always. Yeah. And I mean, again, we'll talk about intersection in another episode probably or multiple episodes but (laughs) like in a lot of psychological studies um if you're bigot you're a bigot in like one part say you're a misogynist most likely you're also probably (laughs) racist so a lot of it is all interlinked (laughs) yes and i feel like we could probably both share like our experiences like if we came across a person who was one form of bigot Mm -hmm. they usually gave us plenty of examples to show that they were also sexist or homophobic or classist or something else Mm -hmm. and you never really need to get to know them more like they're they're just going to show you (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh yeah um so some other terms that also fall directly under racism 
and we can just go through them one at a time. The first one being colorism. And I feel like in terms of popularity on the internet, colorism has become, I don't want to call it a buzzword, but it's definitely been thrown out a lot more in the last maybe 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so colorism, people sometimes like to define it in ways that it's not. So I'm going to give the, the, I don't want to say like the real definition, but it's the real definition. All right. Um, so basically it's privileges and disadvantages are sort of delved out based on how dark your skin color is. And this isn't necessarily a race-based thing. It can be within one race, whether um, it happens a lot in the black community, it happens in Asian communities, it, it isn't just centered on one race. And it's basically giving privilege to people who have lighter skin mm-hmm. or fairer skin, depending on the terminology that people use. And giving disadvantages to people who have darker skin. And sometimes there are different origins based on the region that the colorism is happening in, but they're all still problematic. Colorism can be seen in our media, who we see in movies and TV shows, who's getting the roles, who are the love interests, and then also who are seen as the villains or bad people. Fairer and lighter skinned people are often seen as our heroes, our love interests, and in the opposite end, they often make villains darker skinned um, and even some other features that make them quote unquote evil or bad or dumb or stupid. A lot of negative stereotypes are often associated with darker skin. And um, unfortunately, we saw that a lot in cartoons and our favorite TV shows, like who are they casting yeah. for certain roles or if something is being rebooted, who are they casting in certain roles? Are they making the, the cartoon character lighter? Are they having another actor or actress come in and have them be significantly and noticeably lighter? So it's, it's pretty much everywhere. And it's very problematic for people who are darker skinned. We don't get to see ourselves represented or we're being erased or told that our skin color is bad. And again, we're not going to dive too deep into colorism, but we want to give you an overall definition. And again, not necessarily tied to a specific race. You can see issues with colorism happening in places like India um, with the fair and lovely and the commercials and the advertisements for that. Um, See, in the Philippines, I will gladly do a whole episode about that. (laughs) In the Philippines, in Brazil, and different countries in Africa, like Nigeria and Ghana, you just see a lot of people, and especially, unfortunately, women, doing things like bleaching their skin to be lighter, because skin color is also associated with masculinity and femininity, Mm -hmm. and where femininity is associated with lighter skin 
and masculinity being associated with darker skin. And so there you have another whole host of problems with that alone. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it also adds to, I would say infighting within um, a racial group mm-hmm. and it makes it harder for, you know, one, you know, one race in particular, like if we would just focus on like colorism and say, you know, for my example, like Filipino communities, like it creates that hierarchy and the people who are closer associated with whiteness and like lighter skinned um, are given more privileges. And I think it contributes to like people within a racial group almost gaslighting others mm-hmm. um, believing uh, very colonized views of mm-hmm. themselves um, and like promoting colonial ideals. Exactly. So yeah, again, we're going to touch a lot more on colorism because just like racism, it intersects with a lot of other things, but we have a few other terms that we want to make sure we shared as well. So I am actually not familiar with featureism. So featureism is very similar to colorism. Um, It's because we are being honest and we're human nine times out of 10, when we look at a person, you either can immediately see what a race they are or you start to make guesses because that's why you have people always saying like, oh, like, what are you? Like, what race are you? And questions like that that aren't appropriate when you met somebody three minutes ago. Gotcha. Um, And so featureism is prejudiced against either a certain races or just in general certain features like wider noses or um mono uh monolids and things like that any sort of feature that can be distinct to a certain racial group and not liking that so that also includes things like hair texture which um kinkier and curlier hair is often associated with black people and so again this can be something that is happening within the race and can go right along with colorism or it can be perpetuated by white people onto people of color. But often you see it happening within a community. So let's say, for example, you have a light-skinned person who also has, who's black and also has very kinky hair. They may have light skin privilege, but they do Mm -hmm. not have feature privilege because their hair is kinkier, curlier, coarse. Um, and so that's where you can sort of see both things playing at the same time and being honest about those conversations, because sometimes a light skinned person may be like, oh, well, like my hair is nappy. People made fun of me for that. But you have to take a step back and realize, but they weren't making fun of you because you were light skinned. It was, it was something else that is associated with blackness and is being looked down upon, but it's not your skin color per se. Right. So many layers. Yes. So many intersections. <laughs> so many things to talk about later. <laughs> yeah. So do next we want to, we want to die. Yeah. Our next term is white supremacy. <laughs> Casually. Um, I mean, 
if you don't understand what white supremacy is at this point, like I implore you to please read a book. <laughs> please, please go to your local library or Google it. If like you have an entire computer, basically, if you have a smartphone, it's it's right there and it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, in so many words, just the belief that white people have are the superior race and Mm -hmm. that everybody else is lesser than um and again like going back to this idea that the closer you are to whiteness Mm -hmm. and your proximity to whiteness is how um society values your worth i feel like it's often associated with like Nazis or the KKK, which is absolutely true. (laughs) Like we're not saying that it's not, but I feel like people may try to limit it to just that. Like not everybody who believes in white supremacist ideals are necessarily being that big and bold about Mm -hmm. it and outwardly saying like, I'm going to wear an all white pointy robe or I'm going to wear a swastika and like, it doesn't necessarily have to be that showcased for them to be equally as racist and believe in white supremacy. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about, I, I don't think we can speak about racism in other countries that much, but I think generally, sure. But we're <laughs> talking about racism in the United States. If you really mm-hmm. look at history and policy from 1492, not <laughs> 1492 but basically um uh until today like a lot of it is rooted in this idea of white supremacy Mm -hmm. and a lot of things are passed down um again with policies about how or like with how people are raised and they're not as outright as you know people with swastikas tattooed on the back of their heads or people wearing white hoods um it's just understanding that it is very very ingrained in society and in their politics in our history that it's just everywhere <laughs> it is very yes. tied to racism especially in the especially in the United States mm-hmm. so just because you're not a nazi it's not mean you are not upholding some sort of white supremacy mm-hmm. and sometimes you just got to call them what they are like I feel like some people like to shy away from calling somebody a racist or calling somebody a white supremacist even though they are actively doing racist or white supremacist things and so I'm like let's just let's just call them what they are (laughs) like they're Mm -hmm. white supremacists and although I would like to say that just makes them a horrible person point blank period I don't want to go like that extreme. Like maybe they are somewhat nice to some people, I guess. But like, I'm like, I'm still going to call you a racist. Like yeah, both can be somewhat true, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Please watch. <laughs> please watch Get Out. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Everybody that- seemed nice at first. Mm hmm. It's like, oh, I vote if I would vote for Obama for a third term. Good, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. 
Um, and white supremacy goes right into the last term that we're just going to talk about today. There are plenty more, but colonization <laughs> is our last term. Heavy topic. Yes. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Where do we begin with colonization? Well, maybe like the 1400s. <laughs> At least, at least here in the United States, yes. Yes. It's all, let me tell you a story. Back in 1492, when Columbus got lost and murdered and raped a lot of people. And brought new diseases. Yep. Like you're just making, how do you, how did you make this? It's, it's so... I don't know how to describe it like disturbing as an adult in America sort of realizing how awful this country is because the way our education system is set up everybody is highlighted as a savior or somebody who discovered something or a great leader and as a kid nine times out of ten you're just going to go with that and believe that because you're like oh that's what my teacher said why would they lie to me? Or that's what was in the book. Why would they write anything different? And so being an adult and hearing stories of especially Native American people describing what happened or reading books that actually tell you the truth, it's just so jarring and disturbing. Yeah. And And, yeah, go ahead. Now I would say even as like, people of color it is pretty jarring yeah i mean you think you'd we'd be a little bit more um empathetic and i think we are um uh, just because like you can hearken some experiences um to like either your people or like your own but because like you said a lot of it has been like taught to us from a very very early age and it's been like we've been like indoctrinated into Mm -hmm. a certain type of thinking and like this idea that, you know, founding fathers or that Columbus was a hero, was like a mm-hmm. discoverer, whatever. Um, like it, it's hard to undo a lot of the things that like you were taught from an early age. Um, and it is a little traumatizing. <laughs> it is very traumatizing. If you yeah. really, really go back and learn about the history. I mean, I work with, I, I mean, I actually work with tribal nations and, understanding and knowing like the history of like certain like specific people and you know like and what they went through as a people it is it's a lot and Mm -hmm. like there's still echoes very very strong echoes to this day and even you you telling me more history about the philippines like as an american again they we only talk about America and Europe pretty much in terms of history or social studies. And so I had no idea that the US had any sort of presence in the Philippines. I was like, they what? Yeah. But I was like, I completely believe that. Like it's very on brand. I'm like, but it's just like, why can't you just go home? Stay, mind your business. Like all this money going to the military and for what like just stay home 
Yeah. For most people, for most people, yeah. For people who don't know, which is probably most Americans, mm-hmm. Philippines was a U.S. territory colonized by the United States for 50 years, right after it was <laughs> Like, they took us from Spain. Like, we went from one colonizer to another. And then there was a period. Yeah. There was, like, a period of time where, like, the Japanese was there, too. But, like, we were also under American occupation, which is a lot of colonizers. Okay. But, like, I was going to say, like, I I remember when we were talking about, um, I remember learning about World War II for the first time, like, Mm -hmm. in the U.S., and I had some like understanding from like the Philippines perspective because like I, I again like I was born in the Philippines I spent some time there um, when I was very very young um, but like I understood some of Filipino history and it was just like very very baffling to me when we were learning about World War II in I don't know what grade in the U.S. and there was no mention of the Philippines when. <laughs> a lot of military battles were fought in the Philippines. And also the fact that like, it was a U.S. territory at that point. And that that's Mm -hmm. how people were deployed or that's how like the war in the Pacific was fought with Japan was a lot of people, a lot of military were stationed in the Philippines. So like, how were we not in the history books (laughs) when it was literally part of American history? It's, it's that erasure to make sure that, any sort of history that they want to make positive or try to spin and make it positive is completely white centered. Even, even if the things were absolutely horrible, they're like glorify some general or some battle that only involved white people and completely brainwash you and make you think like, Oh yeah, that was great. That good for go USA. Yeah, the I remember now the only mention of the Philippines was like General MacArthur had to like leave the Philippines and he was on the beach and he was like, I'll be back. Basically. <laughs> that was it. Well, I was like, All right, Arnold. <laughs> um and I feel like maybe my earliest sort of memory of unlearning things was learning the truth about Pocahontas, which as a Disney stan, I was just like, Oh no, why would they do this to me? personally (laughs) why would like why would they make this movie and completely over sexualize and lie about the entire situation and now i have to unlearn it yeah with my own little brain right (laughs) for people who don't know pocahontas was not a grown-ass woman like in the movie she was a 12 year old little girl a baby a child yeah um and making it seem like the white people came over and were just immediately friendly and through the power of leaves and love they were able to speak the same language like it it's so problematic just because of everything we mentioned but also it's the only disney movie based off of an actual human being um but i feel like in general like people absolutely know that pocahontas was a real person and they're just like oh wait she wasn't like this beautiful 18 19 year old woman 
who fell in love with a white man and saved his life. <laughs> like, mm, no. <laughs> she she was she not. Was a kidnapped 12-year-old little girl. And yeah, I was pretty sure, maybe I was in like middle school when I found out a bulk of why it was problematic. I think I knew, like when I was a kid, I think I knew that she was a real person and things like that. But you shouldn't, how old was I when Pocahontas came out? Was I even born when Pocahontas came out? (laughs) I may not have been born, but this is something that I watched. Okay. Um, so yeah, base, basically fresh out the <laughs> womb and clearly have no recollection of watching it until maybe I was four or five. So I'm like, of course, a four or five year old isn't going to understand all the nuances and what's problematic about it. And so having to unlearn all of those things later, again, trauma. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned that. Cause like, I, I, I think it might have caught like, Pocahontas might have come out a little bit later in the Philippines. Um, okay. I'm not sure, but I do remember. I, I remember when it first came out, and I was very excited because she was the first Disney princess that I can remember relating more to because she was, you know, she had almond eyes, she had dark hair, long dark hair. And like this was, it was, I'm pretty sure Pocahontas was before Milan, so like that's why I was excited. Mm-hmm. And like that's that was the wrong thing to be excited about. <laughs> but like I was a little yeah. kid, like I wouldn't <laughs> have known. I was just like, oh, she kind of looks more like me than the other princesses, right? And when it comes to kids, like what is and what isn't problematic is definitely a lot different. And there's just ways to gently say like, hey, this is bad because. And because they're kids, they're like, oh, okay. And then they just move on. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, thanks for telling me. Uh, <laughs> now I won't say or do whatever you just told me not to say or do. Um, yeah, it's it's so ingrained in just our society, our fondest memories. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and even though you could completely say like, I absolutely hate racism or whatever. There's always going to be some things that you love and cherish potentially that are rooted in racism. And so that's something to always have to unpack as well. I'm going to talk about what's not racism. Not reverse racism. I'll tell you that there's no such thing. Doesn't exist. As reverse Mm -hmm. racism. Does not exist. It is fake news. Yep. (laughs) The fakest of news. What would your definition of reverse racism be if if it was real? I can't even wrap my head around it. Because racism has to do with oppression of a group. So I guess like if reverse racism were a thing, it would be the oppression of the what is considered the superior group which is white people and nowhere in this country and nowhere in this world are white people oppressed exactly you're not oppressed and your feelings might be hurt but you're not oppressed and you're not spicy white you're just white you are white you're white and in theory that's okay 
in theory. <laughs> it. I feel like every time I've heard it be used, people think it's, oh, you don't like me because I'm white, or you don't want me to be here because I'm white, or you don't want me to have this because I'm white. And that is true. We don't have the power to actually enforce anything. Like if you went to somebody with an actual authority over a space, most likely they're also going to be white and like, they can just like sweep everybody under the rug and you can have the whole place to yourself. Exactly. And so calling someone like a cracker or a Karen, although it may hurt your feelings, it is not racism. Let me say it again. Although it may hurt your feelings, it is not racism. Mm -hmm. It is, it's nine times out of 10, when I see something being called reverse racism, it's in a situation where a person of color has like stood their ground and not let somebody walk over them or told somebody about themselves and then their feelings are hurt yeah i've i've seen it if we want to like think about like bigger picture i guess i think the biggest picture that i can attribute people calling it reverse racism is affirmative action but to me like affirmative action is just leveling out the playing field like if you have this much privilege right as a white person we're gonna make sure that we're gonna set up systems so that other people have the same amount of privilege. Yours is not being diminished. Exactly. <laughs> it's not. So you're like you did not not get accepted to a college because a black person got accepted. Like that's not yeah. <laughs> that's not what happened. You yourself just did not get in. Yeah. <laughs> that's like it's like giving us I don't want to say this, but like a white mask. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> like mean, it's like two white people trying to get into the same college. You didn't get in because I mean, the other white person, quote unquote, was a better candidate. <laughs> and if you look at sort of like researcher stories about uh, affirmative action it still is not putting a mm-hmm. dent in anything like white people are still overwhelmingly majority when it comes to like college acceptances and even scholarships job acceptances because if you're already in the system you can use nepotism and bring other people in but if people of color don't have those connections those resources affirmative action and other things may be the only thing that we have yeah so all in all affirmative action not reverse racism doesn't exist it is your feelings being hurt and i can i will admit like oh yeah that may have hurt your feelings. I still may not necessarily apologize, but I can definitely own up to something being rude or mean, but it's not racist. Yeah. (laughs) So 
the last thing I wanted to say before we get into our last topic, um, and you mentioned it before, how racism is specifically about power. Racism has a function. And so I often always say systemic racism to really drive it home because most people do use that main term of racism just being like hating or being mean to someone of another race. But racism at the root has a point. It has a function and it is to use race to control or have power over other people. And some brief examples of systemic racism um, are, and this is something very prevalent right now, is voter suppression. If you have people waiting hours in line to vote, even outside of a pandemic, Mm -hmm. which is even worse. But if you have people in certain regions that maybe have mostly black or brown people um, and they have to wait in line for hours to cast their vote. That's an issue, but it doesn't happen in white, mostly white neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, School funding Mm -hmm. being based on local property tax because property taxes can go up and down depending on the majority of people of a certain race that live in that region. So the lower the property taxes, the less money that that school gets. Um, like we were saying, indigenous and native American people being erased, being forced to assimilate, um, our justice system, jail time. These are all things that are a system and many things are working to keep white people on top and people of color down. Yeah. And that's why reverse racism does not exist because- there is no system that is holding white people down. Yes. If you can't get a job one place, I'm sure there are 10 billion other places that you could work. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So on to our last segment. Um, some of our experiences as people of color and racism. Yes. <laughs> I, like I mentioned earlier, like I had a, my first experiences with racism were a little bit more vivid, I think, than most people because I I was born in the Philippines and I spent some time there um, up until the age of nine. I think it was nine, nine or ten. Um, and so I had enough. I don't know. <laughs> I like I I understood enough. Um, as like a nine-year-old, 10-year-old mm-hmm. uh, moving to the U.S. when things just felt very different. And when I was like being treated differently because I was different, mm-hmm. um, that I did not experience uh, growing up uh, in the Philippines as a Filipino person. I think my very, very first vivid experience was racism actually was related to something that was a part of a system. Mm. It was when I was getting enrolled in school, um, I had to I had to go in and basically take like a, a test to see if I was proficient enough in English mm-hmm. to, you know, not have to go to uh what is it, ESL classes? Yeah. Um 
And as we mentioned earlier, the Philippines was a colony of the United States, which means most people speak English. (laughs) And so it was, I came in and like, I had to take the test, which is fine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember the the person who was doing the testing for me, um, was just very surprised at how well I grasped the language. Mm -hmm. And there was, of course, like some terms like I was just not super familiar with because American English is very different from English in other places. Right. Um, But I I, like I tried very hard to at least use some American English from what I saw and honestly, like disney channel movies or <laughs> disney channel shows especially lizzie mcguire a great example by the way <laughs> like one example I, I remember this question and it just like there was nothing overt about it but we'll get into microaggressions but it definitely now that i understand like it was a very she was very microaggressive mm. towards me um and like how she patronized me um one question was she asked was like if you were in the lunchroom and your friend wasn't decided that day not to sit with you um, for lunch, like what would you, like what would you call that? And I, I, I said I remember I used the word ditched. Um, mm-hmm. I said something like um, I would say that she ditched me. Mm-hmm. And I remember the look of, like, shock in her face (laughs) and how, like, just patronizing she was that I knew what that word meant. Wow. And she was like, how do you know English so well? And I'm like, because it was taught in schools. (laughs) And, like, I know that's not, again, that's, like, not a very overt um, example of racism, but it just... Like, it was a very confusing moment because, like I said earlier, you know, I even as, like, a nine-year-old in the Philippines, like, I'd I'd learned about American occupation in the country. Mm -hmm. And I learned about American teachers coming and setting up schools in the Philippines and how our education system there was basically created because of of Americans. Um, And yet there's this very grown, very old woman (laughs) did not know this mm-hmm. and who was expecting me to not do well basically mm-hmm. that's how that's the feeling that I got after that and I think that was very pervasive in like my first couple of years uh, in the American education system was that people just did not expect me to do well because I came from a different country and like I look Asian mm-hmm. And then I also have a very Hispanic name. Mm-hmm. So a lot of confusion there. They're like, okay, she definitely is not American. So <laughs> she must not, um, you know, she, she must not have the education right, or like the ent- intellect to succeed in our school system. And as somebody who works in K to 12 education, that I will say, I feel like there has been, some progress with supporting English language learners or ELLs. Um, Not that it's nowhere near close to perfect, but 
a lot of the issues are stemming from the ignorance of people that are supposed to support ELL students in school and not knowing like basically everything that you had mentioned, not knowing that you already knew English and yada, yada, yada. Um, But then it's also problematic because let's say you were not as proficient in English. Okay. What were they going to do to support you? There's still Mm -hmm. some things missing. So either way you were kind of (laughs) screwed. Like you were either going to face those microaggressions or they were going to be like, Oh no, she doesn't know English. Now let's do next to nothing to support her like sort of thing. Yeah. It's yeah. The whole like English, I think really shaped me knowing English and like really and like looking the way I did and Mm -hmm. understanding that like, I just recently migrated from a different country. Mm -hmm. Just like confused a lot of people. Yeah. (laughs) And it like it, again like shaved my early experiences i also remember another time uh, still like around the same year like i had a dentist appointment mm-hmm. and the dentist was very rude to me like she she was pretty much like screaming at me the entire time and like i have i remember this like i have a small mouth i still do <laughs> um like i can't open it that wide and so like I was like in the dentist chair and she, she was she was like screaming at me to like open my mouth wider and I'm like trying my hardest to open it and she just like stops what she's doing for a minute like stares me dead in the eye and she's like do you understand English? Wow. And I was like first of all I had something in my mouth. Right. I'm like oh no. <laughs> what do you want me to do <laughs> i am small and my mouth is also small but it's just like if i didn't understand english like what were you gonna do right did exactly. you have the supports if like i'm like this little kid i don't know where my parents were i honestly <laughs> like i i remember being alone there but like if i was like there and i did not know english like would this dentist just like keep screaming at me mm until like she i managed to understand to open my mouth open my wider but at that point like i was also the widest it could possibly be wow like like, yeah it and because like the point is that if you were white she probably would not have asked that question. Like she may no. have still been frustrated. Like, why is, why is your mouth so small? Like open, <laughs> but it's the, the microaggression and the racism and the xenophobia and mm-hmm. other terms <laughs> attached to it that make it as, and me with my multiple degrees would say worser. <laughs> it makes it worser. Like, I feel like it I know it's not grammatically correct, but I feel like it hits home yeah more. Right. Yeah, I definitely I don't I definitely don't believe that like I like there was no reason for her to assume that I didn't speak English other than the fact mm-hmm. that like I am not white. Mm-hmm. And so would you say from your time in the Philippines, do you remember anything 
either being racist, maybe due to colonization or things that you maybe didn't necessarily personally experience, but you witnessed like colorism or things like that? I mean, the color is, again, we can go do a whole, whole topic on colorism in the Philippines. Um, I mean, it, it is very, very pervasive, but I think if I want to take about, think of, if I want to give like one concrete example of racism and colorism that I experienced personally in the Philippines, um, I had a neighbor uh, down the street from us mm-hmm. and I remember all of the other neighbors were scared of this person. Like there was always like this air of mystery about this person I, I for the longest time I never saw this person I just know like don't go down to the house at the end of the street because there's this man who lives there and he looks very sketchy mm. blah 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 and then one day I re- I actually saw him I was playing down the street because I don't listen to people <laughs> um, and I was just, just very curious um, I was like who is this person um, and I saw him come out and like get into his car mm-hmm. and it happened to be a black man. Mm-hmm. He was probably like an ex expatriate, like mm-hmm. who was living in the Philippines. And honestly, I, I hadn't seen like black people before. Mm-hmm. My only, um, before that, like my only reference point was like movies. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh my God, Will Smith. <laughs> and. I think around that time, like Independence Day had recently come out, and I thought I saw Will Smith. <laughs> the way I would be telling everyone that I, I did, <laughs> I did, and they, they were like, "That's not Will Smith." Be like, believe what you will. <laughs> and I was like, "So why, like, why, like, why is everybody afraid of him? Why, like, he seemed like a normal person." Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like after. Probably wasn't until after like I moved here that I realized like it's because he was black and the co- colorism in the Philippines is just really terrible, mm-hmm. and so like people were assuming like there's a black man who lives yeah. down the street like he's probably dangerous blah mm-hmm. blah blah. At first but, I thought you were gonna say like it wasn't until you moved to America that you realized that that was not was. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait one minute. (laughs) There are so many Will Smiths. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I when I moved to the U.S., like we lived in Baltimore County, Mm -hmm. which is and like most of my classmates were um, either African American or white, and there was like some like other, there was like three other immigrant um, students, Mm -hmm. at least in my class one like one was russian the other was indian mm-hmm. and it was me <laughs> and, <me. laughs> and like we were friends just because of that point of fact um but like then i quickly realized that not everybody's will smith <laughs> <laughs> the wheels started to turn <laughs> but yeah i i would say that as an african-american that grew up in missouri my experiences with racism are probably what not not exactly but a lot of the things that people would expect a black person in america to experience like i've either personally experienced it or witnessed it very closely 
And I'm trying to, I can't remember like a specific moment or thing that pops up into my mind as racist, like as a first sort of memory. I feel like it was more like internal and how I feel about myself because of how race and things are portrayed in the media. And I remember being like three or four, I was in preschool and it was a private Lutheran school. And maybe there were two or three other black kids in the class. I, I just always remembered like loving to play with the white dolls. Like I had my white friends and like their hair was just like so long and flowy. And I remember coming home and telling my parents, I was like, you know what? I think I want to be white. <laughs> like just, mm. just as a casual, probably after my after school McDonald's, which I often got. Um, <laughs> I was like, you know, what? I think I would prefer to be white. And my parents thankfully were like, huh? What? Absolutely not. <laughs> we're going to nip this in the bud right now. <laughs> um, but all of the media pretty much that I had consumed and the most popular things that I were seeing were of little white girls. Mm-hmm. And basically almost every feature <laughs> that I have is the exact opposite of white features. And me being a little four-year-old who was smart, I'm just like, well, my skin isn't popular. My skin isn't what the Disney princesses look like. I was already a stan. Um, <laughs> like, so I was just like, I'll just be white. That'll fix it. <laughs> the wheels were turning. And I'm just happy that my parents took that time. I can't remember exactly what they said. My memory isn't that great, but I do remember them having a conversation with me. And although I wasn't completely cured of all the insecurities that I had, um, colorism is something that I'm still battling with and dealing with today as well as featureism, but at least I sort of had that foundation of being told that black is beautiful my features are beautiful in that moment and unfortunately I feel like a lot of people don't have those kind of parents in their corner that not only have the tools to talk about that but also the time and the energy as well yeah I mean I'm really really glad that your parents actually took the time to address that and um, like you said, nip that as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like as like that's really heartbreaking as a kid to come to that wrong realization, mm-hmm. right? And like even for me, like I I had a I did not grapple with that um, issue as early because again, <laughs> like I spent most of my time like my first nine years in the Philippines, right? So I grew up around people who basically looked like me. And I'm also mm-hmm. a light-skinned Filipino. So, like, again, in terms of colorism, like, I am right. given a lot of privileges in the Philippines. Um, but immediately upon moving here, like, I realized that, like, oh, I look <laughs> very different. Right. And 
like I like unfortunately a lot of my preteens was like coming to that um or grappling with that issue of like I don't have the features that most people would consider beautiful here mm-hmm. right I have dark hair <laughs> I'm short I'm like light skin sure but not white right and for the longest time like I thought it was ugly um like I like between like well probably until high school <laughs> and I remember I remember and even beyond that like I, I remember one time like I really liked performing mm-hmm. I wanted to be a singer <laughs> as far as Filipinos I cannot sing okay so <laughs> but I really thought I wanted to be a singer and I wanted to like perform and I wanted to try to like be an actor and I remember telling my dad that and he told me that like people like us don't get aren't, aren't beautiful enough Aww. to be on American television. And I was just so distraught. I did not want to be Filipino. Like like I I wanted I really wanted to dye my hair. <laughs> I wanted to thin it out. Um because I really think hair and like my parents wouldn't let me dye my hair, but like I would always try to like thin out my hair and mm-hmm all that like and it was just like I did not put in a lot of effort after a while uh, after hearing that in like how I looked because I was like there's nothing I can do mm-hmm. and um, go ahead and I know that we talked about it a little bit in our Twitter messages <laughs> about um, our respective diasporas and how things can be very different when you are a minority in the country that you live in versus yeah. being the majority, even if it is a colonized country, if pretty much everyone looks like you and is the same race, it's a lot different than being in places like Canada or the US or the UK, mm-hmm. where maybe there is a good um, population of people of color, um, whether it be from your country or region or whatever but you're still a minority and you still don't have people that look like you that are in power. The people who are on the television shows and the movies still don't look like you. And if they do, they're a side character that gets no character development. (laughs) Yeah. And that's part of what at least in the black community, I call it the diaspora wars and things that we have to sort of unpack intra-racially to be able to understand the differences in that so that we can move on to fight the bigger issue, which is racism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like a separate sort of diaspora wars in mm-hmm. terms of like my view is that like people who live in like the homeland Philippines mm-hmm. or like I, I would attribute this to probably most other Asian countries too is like when white people appropriate um, say Filipino culture mm-hmm. it's not very permissible let's say Chinese culture mm-hmm. that's uh, like a thing when <laughs> um, they appropriate Chinese culture Japanese culture or like Korean culture, and I know K-pop's a big Ugh. thing. Like a lot of people back in the homeland, quote unquote, might say that or 
like people who are visiting here might say that is oh that's great like they're spreading our culture blah blah Mm -hmm. blah versus people who have grown up here or who have been here for generations whose cultures have been oppressed Mm -hmm. um and have been discriminated against for you know their history here um like they of course like they have something to say about the about appropriation right um that is much i I think is rooted in um understanding how they've been colonized a lot more and versus people who are back in the homeland who don't experience Mm -hmm. um the direct uh like white supremacy and colonization that is what am i saying (laughs) (laughs) Like they they have a different experience because they are the majority in their own country versus being a minority again, like in a country that is majority white. Right. So yeah, there's there's just so much to unpack, and it can be, for the lack of a better word, traumatizing, even as an adult with higher thinking and executive functioning skills like realizing that so many of your experiences are tied to racism is a lot. But I'm glad that we have this forum now to be able to talk things through verbally (laughs) instead of texting (laughs) back and forth. And I feel like we can get a lot done with this and that a lot of people can relate and learn from it. Yeah. I think it's it's definitely something that people should talk about um, and like relate experiences with one another. Um, I do a lot of I, I used to do documentaries, <laughs> and I do a lot of storytelling. And it's I think there's a power in sharing experiences and sharing stories and understanding um, how. I mean the our podcast is about racism but how like racism has affected how you've grown up um mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of things that like I, even i didn't think about and that came up in like our twitter discussions mm-hmm. um that were a, a result of racism in my life um and like i just didn't have like i didn't have the capacity to think of that deeply about it if i had didn't have a discussion with you same it's there's so much more to learn. And like we said at the beginning, we definitely don't know everything. And we can primarily only speak from what we've experienced ourselves, but we can also uplift and mention other groups that we don't represent and still point out (laughs) how they've experienced racism and oppression as well. And I'm hoping that the people who listen to this will learn some things, get inspired to learn things on their own, because I feel like once you sort of open the book up of knowledge, you're sort of thirsty for more and you're like, oh, this and oh, this too, (laughs) and this. Um, I feel like young people, we definitely have a voice we have strong minds with opinions and the capability to learn things and be open to learning things and 
sometimes words can be very hard when trying to express yourself, especially if you're a person of color trying to explain how something is racist. Yeah. In maybe a situation where not everybody's open and accepting. I'm hoping that people listening to these conversations that hear us talking about it maybe can use some of the vernacular we use, the vocabulary to be able to more effectively express themselves or come to terms with emotions that they didn't even realize they were feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important because like you said, I mean, some of the words that, that, you know, I, I threw out earlier, like microaggression, like I did not know about that until I was studying my psychology degree. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm sure like a lot of people don't necessarily have heard that term thrown around, but, um, may not necessarily understand it i'm sure we'll talk talk a little bit more in depth about it but um like you said having the words to describe and relate uh, your own experiences um and understanding like how it's been impacting you mm-hmm. i think is really powerful and will hopefully like lead people who are you know also people of color into a journey of like understanding like who are they um outside racism mm-hmm. Um, like what are the things about themselves that have been shaped by it and how do, how do they decolonize? I like the word decolonize Mm -hmm. a lot. (laughs) How do they decolonize their identity um, and like really put power into who they are and um, their history? Absolutely. For the white people listening, (laughs) I hope you understand. Yes. (laughs) How everything is a racist and how you need to do better. <laughs> only you can prevent racism. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> but we we can only just tell you what's bad. <laughs> Even then, please pay us to do that. Yes, please. <laughs> I think this is a great first episode. Yeah, so I guess thank you for everybody who listened and we'll talk next time about <laughs> everything else that's racist. Yes, and I don't even know if we mentioned our names earlier. Oh, yeah. So signing off, this is Jocelyn. And this is Bettina. Thank you for listening. <laughs>